0: There's not only beer in that keg, there's beer and blood. Blood of men! You ain't changed a bit.
1: Besides, your hands ain't so clean. You killed and liked it. You didn't get them medals by holding hands with them Germans. Cinematic fantastic. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. I'll show you who I am and what I am. Beaten
0: by a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself.
1: Open the pod bay doors, hell.
0: I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
1: Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weatherford. And your other host, William Weatherford. Get ready for opinions, dad jokes, and bad jokes. As we watch and review sci-fi and fantasy films from the classics of yesteryear to the new favorites of today. If you wanted something to do in between seasons, when you're missing us
0: dearly and life feels uneven,
1: we'll stop on by and give you a lift. Brought you a present. He brought you a gift. This This is a a bonus bonus episode. Episode. Little Little bit bit different from the ones ones you know. know.
0: Four theme movies in a row. Welcome Welcome to to the the bonus. bonus. Thankful that you joined us. Now here's here's the the bonus bonus episode. episode. Good morning, I guess, listeners, wherever uh, you are. It is cinematic fantastic time. And I will say, everyone... Out in the audience, everyone has some sort of enemy, some sort of, you know, school bully. Maybe it's the guy at work. Maybe it's even your boss. Uh, Don't tell your boss. Yeah. Maybe it's got, got to be even your childhood crush. Uh, who you eventually started to work on a relationship with, became your girlfriend and everything, but you just hate her.
1: She reject- no, she rejected
0: <laughs> Betty just <laughs> is the worst person to live Betty- with.
1: Betty rejected you. Betty eventually rejected you. You gave her your heart. You've
0: got an enemy, and I've got an enemy. It's not dad. Uh, dad's got an enemy. It's not me. Facts. Everyone's got their own individual enemies, but did you know that there is an enemy- whom everyone has in common everyone even everyone society's society the public enemy yes and that is our fellow tom powers in the movie the public enemy 1931 yes starting on a strong foot in our gangster paradise for lack of better word our gangster (laughs) crusade our crusade through the gangster movies were beginning here. I
1: thought we were, we were, it, we were going to call it uh, Golden Gangsters because we are pulling from the golden age of Hollywood, uh, not only from the 1930s, but we've also got one that kind of creeps in from the 40s and says, I'm here too. Um, so again, if you guys remember, uh, we did a bonus I mean, for those one. who
0: know they're Italian <laughs> and uh, enthusiasts of gangsters who know they're Italian, um, the word Largo in Italian would be as well as it is in music slow just <laughs> to boil it, it be, down it means slow really slow yeah so I guess it was slow on the play field
1: well that that movie he's talking about is Key Largo and that's also a a location in Florida I believe And think that they I think there's something that comes up with that the storm in Florida but anyway, that's okay so let let's start let's start this off uh in saying that this is a bonus month just like we did our last time we did um Uh, Cinematic Classics, Uh, we did M, we did Night of the Hunter, we did Citizen Kane, Kane, and we did Treasure of Sierra Madre. Uh, We are doing another bonus month that consists of four, count them, four movies, kind of keeping them in a subject matter, and that subject matter is crime, punishment, gangsters and mobsters. The first movie is The Public Enemy, 1931, um, starring the absolutely excellent... Uh, James Cagney, Jimmy Cagney himself. Rather,
0: he was likely the inventor of that gangster, uh, voice. Though honestly, in this movie, he is so early that he is just smug teenager to me. He doesn't sound at all like the eh, See, he doesn't sound like that at all.
1: Well, he Not plays both. Much. Well, the 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 voice kind of develops over time in a lot of his different characters. Um, a lot of the things that we see as as cliche. With those gangster and mobster kind of roles, were started with these movies, like movies like Little Caesar. It's not the pizza company; it's actually about a a mobster played by Edward Edward G. Robinson. Let me get his name right. These characters are so well ingrained as as uh, in in the American psyche that when you think of gangsters, you're probably thinking of these kind of movies. But but to be honest, we're thinking that oh, th- hundreds of these movies were made. No, actually. It was actually around less than 24, I think. I think it was a good handful uh, of these movies were made. And they had their heyday, and then they kind of, to just be honest, they kind of faded off the scene a little bit. And I think that as as the 1940s kind of came in and kicked in, uh, you saw less of those movies, and you saw more of, I yeah, think, Yeah, for when good
0: reason, these were very... World War Two was hitting. And for for good reason, these are very violent movies as they are they're dealing with people who are corrupt and not on the good side or at least aren't supposed to be but we'll talk about why that stigma is sort of different when you get into them a yeah. little bit later thirdly overall as as gangsters were really representative of the lower class yep especially during the great depression when Everyone was lower class, basically. To to sum it all up, everyone was lower class. But when later, when there was more prosperity, especially when World War II ended and New Deal came and went, the America got a lot more prosperous of a country. And since there weren't any more really big wars to deal with, since the Cold War was, well, cold, it wasn't, there, wa- there wasn't much expenditure, at least relative to World War II. Right, it wasn't popping off. As they went on, that gangster culture, I believe, you know, faded from all of those elements. And especially as, you know, you know, to speak about culture, culture changed uh, from the 30s to the 40s, the 40s to the 50s, 50s to the 60s, and, you know, what gangsters looked like, especially on screen with Technicolor, rapidly changed and grew to something entirely different. And especially as later on when movies got more capable of showing uh, greater, more gritty experiences, and especially with color come those gritty experiences, it's entirely different from this golden age of gangster movies.
1: You got the got the uh, got movies later on. Of course, we won't do these movies because they're a little bit out of our out of our range here. But movies like uh, Godfather Part One and Two, uh, the remake of Scarface that got done with Al Pacino, and they didn't have to apologize or kind of you know kind of steer you away from from how you're supposed to see these characters. I mean, and they just did the, honestly yeah.
0: to retrospect over the '30s and '40s. Yeah. It's definitely very like different and alien, but at the same time, it's just got this mood that is just warm. You know, I '30s movies are just something different from you know. You've got Avengers, and you you've got uh, what's another good one? I didn't know that there was like a uh, speak- <laughs> uh, uh a relatively recent. Uh, unveiling was uh ryan reynolds who uh he does all those commercials uh, yeah. for mint mobile he uh is doing a movie about um he's doing a movie about imaginary friends like yes. them being real and people starting to see them
1: i saw that yeah
0: yeah it's it's sort of similar to if you've seen the um I believe it's Cartoon Network. It's a uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Foster's Kids. Home. Yeah, it was a little series where there was this uh, this little dude, and he had a blob. There was like this. Um, he was sort of monsters, but it's, it's not like he had like horns. I I don't know really how to describe him.
1: So uh, so what what are you saying about about modern stuff as opposed to thirties?
0: Yeah, it just thirties movies have that, especially as we've talked about the transatlantic accent and how that sort of went away. Just, you know, this uh, atmosphere that they always had, the limitations, you know. It just feels like this bottle of that. That's why we really like these uh, Universal monster movies, is just how it's a little bit hard to encapsulate into words, but uh, encapsulation it certainly was uh, compared to modern media, and there's just something to enjoy about, you know, the style of them.
1: Yes. One thing I would say about the public enemy though, it it is pre-code. So there they have to not they have to, but they felt like they had to put, you know, something at the front and at the end a little a little uh like a little message to the audience. What is it what did it say at the very beginning? It says, It is the ambition of the authors of the public enemy to honestly depict an environment that exists today in a certain strata of American life yada yada no yes Re- and fear from the pu-
0: <laughs> the the public you know adopting the behaviorisms of the gangster as he was sort of this hero in many yeah. of the movies that gangsters were he's in he's a you rebel see this, he's the ultimate rebel you see our protagonist rise from the
1: rags to riches in, in rags to many many, like many like yeah, from the yeah. lower
0: class and then assuming this, you know, this lifestyle—like you've you've got the cars, you've got the the ladies, especially with gangster movies—they were objects of status. Which, um, yikes! But still, they had assets, and it was a sort of way of achieving that American dream. That
1: yeah, albeit going a dark path to the do people it. people who
0: can't make that much money, sort of going like anyone could force his way, fight his way to glory, to the top, to seeing all the people in their fords and their manners and their, you know, speakeasies roaring with music and laughter and wine, becoming this
1: immortal, larger-than-life position. Here's the thing. You're saying that they are, you know, scrabbling and clawing their way to the top, you know however whatever means necessary even criminal ones there's a scene in the public enemy where the uh, tom powers and some of his compatriots go into a, a kind of a swanky establishment they they put on airs cuz they're they're lower class but they're trying to act upper class and it it comes across as li- a little weird uh like like they don't belong there but but it's almost like no matter how much success you get you're still that lower middle class guy from from that borough of 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 Chicago or New York or wherever they were from you know and you can't you can't really shake and that.
0: and oftentimes you know many rich people who get it for rational reasons they get it for you know they justifiably they lived a moral life and they got a job they became you know rich they had a family they accrued their life You know, morally, those people, it's hard to compare to these people who they clawed their way up. They're not as perfect as those actual real higher class citizens because they actually got there through dark means and they, they, they slaughtered their way to the top. They are, you know, murderers. They are...
1: Thieves if they if they didn't murder they had somebody else murder for them.
0: they have hardness in their hearts, and we haven't talked about rival gangs they uh gangsters would often get into various contentions with rival gangs. they get into a whole war uh people would go down in the fight yep and uh especially this wasn't helped because of their compondrey for each other they were very uh gangsters are very loyal to their other gang members and to the gang and their cause. Uh la- later in this film spoilers when one of our uh main characters Mike Powers I believe yeah. he goes down in an epic gang war and he has to avenge him for, you know, the the cause of his gang.
1: Oh, I don't think uh, I think Mike Mike uh Wait, are you, talking, are you talking about Matt? Are uh, you talking about Matt Doyle, right?
0: I I, I might be talking. Hmm. Yeah. No. Mike got killed, but he wasn't as compadre as much as. But still, vengeance was necessary to further the cause of the gang and to come out on top. And Tom Powers went down.
1: Yeah the the other the other thing is though is this is that you get so proud. You, it, it has to be eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, and it keeps going back and forth until everybody's dead. I mean, you you're, you can't just – you can't operate a business that way. Yeah, vengeance never wins. No, it doesn't. And not, that's not... just
0: the sort of fascinating thing about gangster movies is that rise and then that fall.
1: That ultimate You've always got to
0: have that fall because, uh, of course
1: – They want to show that they're, that they're going down.
0: They want to show that these aren't good people and that they get their just desserts at the end.
1: Right, but that's the hallmark of some of these 30s gangster movies is if that, that there would be a fall or to give another movie that uh, J- uh Jimmy Cagney was a gangster in it was uh, um Angels with Dirty Faces and the very end of the movie it, uh he's going down and he's just like ah they're not going to take me I'm not going to you know I'm not going to wuss out or whatever and his priest friend is like look you don't go down like that because they the, all the kids see you as a hero go the coward's way out and and you kind of you know cry for your uh you know beg for your life that they'll they'll see you as hey you know maybe maybe this is not the way to go and see that's the thing is they kind of ha- they have to show you this is not the way to go but but, but later on they don't do that that's
0: the thing that's fascinating is that even still they get their they get the riches they get you know the the they get ladies they get everything they could ever dream of yet at the same time as you're holding your girl by your side at the gala at the same time you're holding uh, a gun behind your back and uh, fending off against 25 other dudes who are trying to end your life
1: yeah they're not going to do it yet they'll be on the other side of the room and they'll be like nod at you and you're like oh, okay and so you know and you hear you know hey I better be careful because someone's gonna.
0: you can never avoid your fate yeah
1: and that's that's kind of what that's about
0: so I guess that is an extensive uh, review of what makes gangster movies so fascinating
1: and each one of them uh, that that I would consider really great have at their core you know something that makes it special you know even if you took I've heard somebody said hey you know the the public enemy would be a better movie if they would remove the little part at the beginning and the part at the end that talk about, you know, basically, you know, we don't glorify the lifestyle of the gangster and, you know, he's a public menace or whatever, you know. my
0: review, the movie was fine. The only thing I would have taken out was, or not taken out necessarily, the end part was, it ran quite a bit ways long because he got, uh, at the end of the movie, Tom Powers is injured and he is in the hospital but eventually the gang catches up to him and then they uh, steal him away from the hospital and uh, they do not play nicely with him and then they end up delivering him dead on his doorstep
1: well they 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 I, th- I thought that was a suspenseful thought because you know what's coming you're like and you and and the mother uh, Tom Powers mother you know they show a lot of his family life they show the two sides of him. Not only as a son and a brother, you know, but also you know, in in the yeah, gangster world, it's very world. personal
0: because like we have the gangster who's fighting among, you know, even his closest companions. Uh, in this case, his brother went out to war and he came back and he got you know everything that he wanted, but he had to claw his way up. Yeah, we're
1: both like, murderers. You just you know they just give you medals for it, and me, I just you know you're looking down on me, but you killed them just like I'm killing people now. You're, you know, we're not any different. And that's 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 kind of an interesting way of putting it, you know.
0: Um, and then also among his mother, his relationship with his mother, his family, and then also with, I believe his enemy Nails, Nathan, and then uh, Putty Nose, who is sort of his, or was his ally, but then he betrays him. Well, uh, he betrayed, he betrayed him
1: early on in his career. See, that's one of the things. He could have just let Putty know. he saw Putty Nose across the room after uh, Tom Powers had made it big, right? He saw Putty Nose. You can't let those things stand. He couldn't just let it stand, you know? And then you just got to go get that guy and go kill him. And and then it just, it, it shows his heart is, is pride, his arrogance. You know, he just, he can't let a slight, you know, go. He he has to hold those grudges blood for blood. You know, that's just how it goes. You know, I, I don't know. I, and I guess... another
0: thing that truly makes a gangster movie and a movie that we wanted to do in particular was grapefruits now i'll tell you why in our frankenstein episode that we did on the movie frankenstein we right. talked about may clark who was one of the actors in that movie and you told me uh, what did you tell me
1: i said uh i said that there was a movie that may clark was going to do later or, or, or no she did it same year i think and it was called The Public Enemy and has James Cagney and, and, he, and she's his girlfriend for like all of like five minutes. And there's a scene where and here the rumor is that May Clark and James Cagney, you know, she thought that they were doing the grapefruit scene just for the crew as a joke. But William Wellman, the director, left it in. He put it in the movie. And so she was shocked that it got put in the movie. But it's one of the most famous scenes. He shoves a great half a grapefruit in her face for her saying, you know, something to it. Yeah, well, bre- wearing breakfast. uh, yeah,
0: wearing pajamas, he's got those pajama pajama shirt.
1: Right, right. The rumor is though that the ex husband of May Clark, who they didn't end up very well, they as divorces often do, and he supposedly would pay money to just go see that movie. And he would wait for that scene where she gets smashed in the face with the grapefruit, and then he would laugh and leave. Um, there are
0: various different stories on the origin of this. The director, for instance, said that this was entirely secret from Mae Clark. Right. While James Cagney said that he had notified her beforehand. Right, right, and then and she she then thought it, it was you deal. know
1: just going to be for the crew and you know to to act that part out, but it ended up being the movie.
0: Regardless, grapefruit half of a grapefruit got smashed into um her face and i believe the story behind the grapefruit was that he uh the director's wife loved to eat grapefruit for breakfast so he wanted emotion out of that scene he was like what better emotion would my favorite uh my wife's favorite breakfast item to be shoved into (laughs) the protagonist's wife's uh or or girlfriend girlfriend sorry
1: Right. Oh, he—he's oh, he, not one to marry that Tom Powers. <laughs>
0: Disagrating the precious, sacred grapefruit. Yes. Would honestly, gra- honestly, I don't even get why grapefruit exists. Like oranges, <laughs> oranges entirely replace grapefruit.
1: Grapefruit. Well, grapefruit has some stuff in it that orange just can't just can't top. You'll have to look. You'll. It, uh, it's vitamins. It's way better now. I don't like the taste of grapefruit. It's a little too sour for me. It's a little too tangy.
0: So tell me more about uh, James Cagney and the production of this movie. All right.
1: Well, the uh, well, why? Of course, I will. Uh, the first thing to to mention specifically about this movie was directed by William Wellman. They based it off of a unpublished uh, the screenwriter uh, based off an unpublished book by two people. The book was going to be called Beer and Blood. They had seen some of Al, a famous gangster named Al Capone's murderous gang rivalries in Chicago, and so that's what they were going to base it on. Yeah, he, Al
0: Capone. If no, none of you guys knew he was the real life Scarface from the movie Scarface,
1: right? And he because he got he got he got in an accident, not an accident. Well, someone someone came after him with a. Um, I heard that it was a a, a bayonet. It was a bayonet um, blade. I heard that he was in World War One, and he came back from there, and that's where he got the scarface. I don't know. I thought it would thought. I thought
0: just some conflict in a pub, but um, just like Tom Powers, uh, he was a notorious gangster, brushing heads with rival gangs and uh, dominating the Prohibition racket business.
1: You know, you know, he didn't really like the nickname Scarface as much. Of another one called, uh, he was called Snorky. Snorky.
0: Okay, Scarface, that has uh, that has bite to it. That's awesome.
1: Snorky is kind of stupid. I think, I think maybe, you know, he, was, he didn't want to be reminded that he had that a facial disfigurement. But I'm telling you, scars kind of make you look bad and make you look like you're like, don't mess with me. It's like you get a strike in the jugular and survived. Right, right, right. Somebody came after me, but I lived, you know, that kind of thing. And I got this to, you know, this scar. It's, it's to... just
0: metal. It is, it
1: is kind of metal.
0: I but was, uh, yeah, I, I his story. It. He grew up in Brooklyn into a poor family immigrating from Italy. Uh, Al Capone reveled in attention. He adored when he'd hit a home run in baseball and the crowds went wild for him.
1: Because he would actually, they would, they, he'd come out to the, the baseball diamond and they would, you know, and he'd throw a ball and he'd, get, he'd hit it. He'd also sign autographs,
0: and he uh, he also had a flower shop. I believe he also did a soup kitchen for the Great Depression. Oh, when that's uh, nice! All sorts of people were starving. He would feed all the hungry people who streamed in from down the block. Uh, lines from down the block those days.
1: Yeah, that's very nice, William. But he would, you know, what he would also do, William? If you cro- if you just barely crossed him. He would beat you over the head with that baseball bat. So Yeah, yeah
0: n- he uh, punched his teacher in school, and he got expelled for it. He got expelled because he punched his teacher. And she was like... That's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to the principal's office to get expelled! So after he climbed the ranks of kid gangs, he joined the Five Point Gang, uh, doing work as a bouncer. He was the the bodyguard. And he... At that time, also obtained respect from his mentor, the great Johnny Torrio. Uh, Torrio, he was later a forerunner of his uh, of Al Capone's crime syndicate, the Chicago outfit. Which is funny because his mentor turns into his subordinate, his his worker and that uh, yes. I find that interesting. His great empire fell one Valentine's Day, nineteen twenty nine. Uh, it was called the Valentine's Day massacre, which. It doesn't sound like a massacre too much to me because seven members of their rival gang, the North Side Gang, uh, they, they're dead. They're lined up against the wall, uh, killed. Uh, they took a photo of it, actually. I wouldn't recommend seeing it, but it's on the Wikipedia page if you do want to see it. But yeah, that started a gang war and it made Al Capone public enemy number one. So in other words, he was also the public enemy and there you go. Scarface. And I, I guess he was Key Largo. I don't know somewhere. <laughs> no,
1: no, <laughs> no. Uh, it, no it, it
0: connects to basically all of our movies. I mean, it works. But
1: but the thing is, though, the more the more visible that you make yourself, uh, you know, with these crimes, you know, uh, it it puts you a target on your back with you know with the the uh, the newly formed uh, FBI. You know, the new you know the um, yeah.
0: As the gang wars are happening, not long after. Uh, the feds caught him for 22 counts of tax evasion, interestingly enough. They couldn't
1: get him for other stuff because he would, war- he uh, where would he squirrel went to 12 out. he years
0: yeah. in prison. He was actually one of the first to go to Alcatraz, which is interesting. That's because, true. Because uh, Alcatraz was recently built. He was one of the first to go there. He deteriorated from Paresis uh, in his estate after he was released for, well, Paresis, uh, until the end of his life. And uh, paresis, is, it's basically his uh, nervous system, what?
1: Yes, but also, he did also have syphilis as well. Syphilis is a... Yeah, the, uh, the paresis
0: is a part of the syphilis.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: That, that That is to say, rather, that he was in the later stage of it where it was just his brain was... Abs- uh, his uh, psychiatrist said he had the brain of a 12-year-old when he was being judged
1: to be
0: released from prison.
1: Yes. And they based a, they based a lot of the things that happen in real life. Yeah, on so I find it interesting characters.
0: that you know he rises from the kid gangs. He starts into the prohibition racketing. He starts. He becomes you know, the muscle of another guy, dominating all over the bars. He then gets into a really bad massacre. Then gets put into a hospital, and then where he soon dies afterwards out of there into his estate there, yeah
1: there are some parallels there's some parallels to be had
0: but uh he was the real public enemy he was the real Scarface and uh when we get to the actual movie Scarface we'll probably uh mention him again
1: yeah we'll mention some of the the parallels and, and things that they they took from uh, Al Capone's life specifically the interesting thing about this movie in and specifically about about James Cagney is he is—he's more multifaceted than I think than the gangster genre would have you believe. With him, one of his first things that he ever did was—he uh, was in a movie called Every Sailor, or not—I don't know if it was a movie. It was a, a stage review, and it had one little dance move, and he knew it inside and out. As he only knew one good dance move, but he watched other people do their dance moves, and he could—he could do it immediately. He's a dancer.
0: He was the taskmaster.
1: No, yeah, from Marvel Comics. So no, but the thing about um thing about James Cagney is, and we saw a movie recently, William, didn't we? Uh, Man of a Thousand Faces, and we saw he's really talented with with you know kind of you know tap dancing and everything. He could do all that. He could choreograph. He could do all those things. But what he started happening is he started getting these roles where you know he wasn't quite the shiny character he was he was you know interesting to watch so much uh, uh charisma you know even even with characters that that you would say are kind of on the bad side of things the charisma makes you root for this guy even he, when he's at his worst you're still like i hope he you know figures this out and maybe survives because
0: He's just so smug about everything
1: but he's also he's all strangely enough even though when he, when he's doing horrible stuff he's still likable because James Cagney still puts that in his characters. The thing about this though he's he's very well connected with the gangster genre. When you think of Jamie Cagney, you think of like you know uh, uh a, you,
0: you probably also think of like Little
1: Caesar as well. Was he in Little Caesar? He wasn't, uh, but, uh, Edward G. Robinson was, but... Well, yeah,
0: uh, but, yeah, this movie and Little Caesar were the establishers of the gangster movies. I wouldn't were. be surprised if he was in Little Caesar as well.
1: No, no, no. The, the other guy that's in Little Caesar, uh, I believe, uh, what is it? It's not Errol Flynn, is it? Um, if it was Errol Flynn... It's, anoth- it's another like guy, uh... Your
0: Robin Hood. Your Robin Hood is the criminal, Okay? <laughs> I would, I would, I would be very surprised.
1: No, it's 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 not Robin Hood. It's a guy who played uh, Zorro. It's Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Also, another guy who was well known for sw- swashbuckling. But we'll get into that when we talk about that. So he got a little bit typecasted. You know, we've talked about Bella Lugosi. We've talked about you know Boris Karloff and how they got kind of typecasted uh, with certain horror roles or different you know certain parts. And they tried to kind of get away from those things. And sometimes they just kind of went, you know, okay, I'll just lean into it. James
0: Cagney got stuck in the gangster movies until, like, what well, the 50s when he did, like, A Man of Thousand Faces and such. Well, I mean,
1: he started moving away from that. He did actually, he got nominated a couple times for Academy Awards and even won one for a movie called Yankee Doodle Dandy, which is about a composer named George Cohen who wrote the song uh you know the one that goes I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy uh
0: So I guess he really <laughs> made it with um biography style
1: uh yeah movie. with musicals yeah but when man of, man of a thousand faces though wasn't as uh it 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 was okay at the box office but it wasn't like the big hit he wanted it to be I thought it, I thought it was a good movie but that's cuz I'm it made me think about Lon Chaney and all the things he did that's why I connected it with that movie but back to this so when James Cagney was getting pulled into doing the public enemy. He was actually going to play the Matt Doyle character and, and Matt Doyle, uh, the guy who played Matt Doyle, Edward Woods, uh, he was going to play Tom Powers, but what they saw him, you know, they saw them act off each other. They're like, no, nah, he needs to be Tom Powers, you know, and it worked out so much better. I'm glad they did it that way, uh, to be honest. And of course, you know, the, uh, you know, you know, people remember Edward, uh, Edward Woods for other things. He's not Ed Woods. This as Ed Woods Jr. is a different guy. That's the that's the director who made really bad, you know, movies. Well, the infamous for bad movies, whatever.
0: Ah, uh, an interesting yeah. thing that I saw was that apparently this film was to be bookended by puppetry, like puppet gangsters, into like you know flashy like the public that would have been very unique as we had not seen that let alone puppets
1: i, I, th- I think the imagery though the imagery we though stop- is interesting we haven't
0: even seen like stop motion in like the intro cards that would be that would be great
1: uh but aren't they they're 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 puppets you know if you think about it they're someone else is pulling their strings uh their hubris their selfishness their arrogance something deeper is pulling their strings and they're just going through the motions. Um, that, that is that, interesting. That could be an interesting way of looking at it, but I don't, I'm glad but it, w- was it was the way it was. instead they
0: had to go with the... Oh, shoot. What did they do? They did like a bell or something? Did they like
1: show a printing press? I don't remember what it was. So, yeah, it was something like that at the, at the very end. Uh, of course, you know, you've got...
0: Uh, what about the press? What did the press think of this movie? Because uh, I feel like it could go very wrong or very right at the same time because they tried their best to make it more acceptable to the public but then how the public receive it uh, that's what i'm interested in
1: okay at the uh, okay the the modern reception of this movie is is much more uh favorable than i think the reception at the time cuz they were saying you know it's got some good good performances the story is okay you know and i i think that people back in the 30s they were a lot Harsher, I think on some some of the, some of the movies that I thought were, were, were good, you know, cause we see how good they are over time. We see them, you know, you know, you know, pass that test of time, uh, and, and become classics. Right. But at the time they weren't classics. They were just movies and people just said whatever they said about things. And, and then, you know, it was, it was a mixed reception.
0: Yeah. I it, thought it was an okay movie. The only thing that I was craving for was stakes because as, You know, they're called gangsters, as in they have a gang. This is about a guy fighting, like, another guy. And then maybe he has some lackeys, I guess, that come in the scene uh, to help out. But, uh, like, I think that they didn't really do that well representing an entire gang. I get the personal side of showing the personal, you know battles and the personal villain and protagonist that you have in this movie. But I feel like if it, it, it's a gangster movie that you should see more of a like accruement of a gang. Well, I mean,
1: I did I did see some gangsters, uh, but they started getting popped off one by yeah, one I to a heist movie where you
0: love to see the accruement of a plan.
1: Oh, this is, this is not, you, you mentioned that while we were watching, you were like, you wanted to see a heist. I know, but I'm saying what's good about heist movies
0: is the plan is seeing, you know, you've got, uh, you've got the bodyguard, you got the, the smart guy, you've got, you, you accrue all the assets, you make a plan and then you invade into this place, but there's just, and then this plan just slowly starts to crumble like the villains start to catch on maybe there's like all sorts of incidents that go slightly wrong and then it just starts to fall apart and then you've just gotta book it at the end or it could probably it it should plan B or they adapt or are they or they adapt and pull it off and 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 yeah that, that's what I'm saying that's that's what's good about amazing magic
1: yeah exactly
0: and that's what I want to see uh, out of like a good heist movie the only like heist movies I can think about that I have seen is like um the bad guys which is uh, dreamworks and probably like that one scene from the Lego movie where right. they're waiting well, into Lord Business's l- robot lair.
1: Well, we're talking about a good heist movie. I probably said uh you know the original Ocean's 11. Uh, but I'm h- like, How know, much seeing did
0: you like the stakes? Yeah. You know, seeing more of like a stakes like you know you're accruing like more gang members you're getting into you know this big massive amount of gang and then they get into this all-out war well,
1: the, the stakes are his life i mean his life also it you know he doesn't want his mom finding out all the stuff he's doing yeah, the
0: stakes are him and his family members i get that and it's still a great movie but it's just seeing that you know it's called it's called a gangster movie for a reason and,
1: that, you, and that's sort of want, what I think did, about. Did you want the gang to be filled out a little bit more? I thought the focus really was really on his character.
0: And because there wasn't as much stakes, it felt like slower of a movie. Because while he does, you know, accrue in fame and he gets the lady and he gets into cafes and such, he I, it could always it could go bigger, just to grow even bigger from that point. And then it would have, you know, felt like it was ramping up steadily throughout the runtime. And uh, it's a uh, more shallow curve uh, when there's less stakes, in my my opinion.
1: I thought the stakes were were fine. They were just more personal stakes. They're more, and to me, sometimes those more personal stakes I can relate to more because you can make things bigger and bigger and bigger until it goes, okay, the city's going to blow up big deal how it affects somebody their personal relationships is sometimes those are the things that are really crucial and critical you know um you know most of the things that go on in my life that are the most important are my family and my friends
0: even still, so, if they were aiming for that they could have done They they could have always done better
1: no i'm sure i'm sure they could have but but i thought that maybe those bigger stakes uh or those that can can come into play when they have bigger budgets as well they can have yeah, yeah this yeah.
0: probably didn't have that great of a budget what was the budget by the way
1: i do not remember uh but i do i do remember this the budget was not that much uh it, it was a decent amount but the movie made like three or four times their budget so they definitely made a profit um so okay so i want to ask you a question how much research you did some research into Al Capone? How much research did you do on uh prohibition, which is what this movie takes place at uh during the time of?
0: Uh not way too much. It was honestly really just Al Capone um hmm I remember something about there's like these this purple gang, but I don't know if that was all like that. The, was that was de- that was
1: Detroit. Yeah, the um the the gang that ran Detroit was the purple gang.
0: Hmm. Well, I didn't look into that one. I didn't think it was uh, timely enough, or it uh, wasn't even the same area.
1: Prohibition started in the late 1800s. There was a movement called the Temperance Movement. It had a good heart to it, I thought, but kind of went a little crazy with it. Their, their thought process was that Americans were drinking too much. There were uh, actually women's groups that were allied with that. They, they had and cru- it was also
0: probably expensive to make as... You have to uh, have these sit in a brewery for such a long time.
1: It wasn't. It w- actually they they didn't have any problem with bre- with brewing it and creating well, yeah, but especially
0: it. Especially like you, like stewing wines can take like now, years.
1: That's true. That's true. But, but the issue was well, okay. Let's put it this way: there are there were taxes on alcohol, and the government was making money off of people buying beer and alcohol and things like that. So when this temperance movement came through, not just women's groups, some people that were kind of high up in politics that were kind of pushing this too, and they were coming, I guess, more from a conservative kind of background as well. People like Carrie Nation. She actually had an axe. Just this woman would travel from saloon to saloon and go in there and just bust open beer barrels with her axe. There was an anti-saloon league led by a a guy named Wayne Wheeler they had propaganda too. They said they told uh, the African American and Black groups that alcohol was hurting their movement to to have civil rights. They were telling the racist people that alcohol was going to turn Black people crazy, and they were like, "Oh no, no." And then they, the workers were told alcohol was a capitalist ploy to keep them subjugated. And then the factory owners were told that alcohol was making their workers lazy. So a massive string
0: of conspiracies within this yeah. prohibition.
1: But forty percent of the government's annual revenue is alcohol. So what are they going to do? Well, the Anti-Saloon League and Wayne Wheeler and all them—they suggested an income tax. They went, "Oh, well, we'll do a new new income tax. That'll take care of that stuff. We can get, you know, we can put a prohibition on alcohol." It started out that people were like, oh, well, hard alcohol, hard hard liquor like gin, rum, um, whiskey, all that kind of stuff. Would probably be bourbon. prohibited
0: from import.
1: Yes, yes, all that. But they said, oh, beer's okay, right? You're going to leave beer, right? And they went, sure, sure. Nope, beer's gone too. And so they had something called the Volstead Act, and anything with a point, uh, 0.5 alcohol level or above was out. And many, many of the beers were done. It became a constitutional amendment in, in 1917, which, strangely enough, was, you know, that was uh, right before the end of um, World War One. So what are you going to do? I mean, all the guys that were overseas. <laughs> yeah, we're back from the war. Yay. Let's drink up the. To- oh. We can't. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the only crimes that. You would even have like little old ladies breaking because they had people called bootlegging, which meant they would uh, they would make uh, moonshiners. It's feel like they would make it out in the forest they, they or, or like this, these these out of the way places. Uh, they would make uh, what's called bathtub gin. They would use uh, alcohol and different chemicals. They make they make gin in a uh, in a bathtub. Um, yeah, really good for you. Um, so in the yeah,
0: government- I uh, saw someone who had done that to make like the spiked punch, I some people might know who I'm talking about, but I would not drink any of that. It not is probably a bathtub, like yeah. a teaspoon would take out a large cat, probably. yes, it would ta- it would probably take out a bear, honestly.
1: Yeah, and there was different little loopholes in the law. like there was one loophole that you could keep any alcohol you had before the prohibition. Uh, and so a bunch of people would like, like, you know, hoarded it. And then they had, then they said that rabbis and priests, you know, with Jewish and Catholic priests where they had communion, communion wine. Right. And they said, Oh, it's okay to have communion wine. They were like, Oh, I've got a lot of communion wine. And then you could just come over and say, you know, come see the, the, the rabbi on the side and maybe he might give you some Mm. communion wine. There was also a thing where there was a brick of dehydrated grape juice. And on the outside of the the brick, it said it's not alcoholic and it's perfectly legal. But please do not dissolve the brick in a gallon of water. Don't place the liquid in a jug in the cupboard for 20 days because it would turn into wine. Don't
0: spin around 10 times. Yeah. Uh, it, that's how, don't you dare. Don't you dare spin around 10 times. Yeah, if you spin did. around 10 times, then I will find your grave and put you in it. Oh, okay. And then I will take that grave and then put it into Fortnite as a e-currency.
1: Exactly. People
0: will buy your grave and dance on it.
1: On the outside of the the box it said don't do this or it'll make it alcoholic and that was kind of like going wink wink you know here's how you make it alcoholic.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting at all. But yeah, how did it
1: end? I, I'm telling you. So, here's how did How did it end? It it
0: went along like that for like a while and then 2829 it just goes away
1: how well, does so, it happen well like like the early 30s or, or actually very shortly after you know this this movie is set i think um i think it, was, it came out in 31 but it's set in 20s i don't know you have to tell me later but uh, there was a, a bunch of prohibition agents but not enough there was only 1500 of them to cover the whole country that's like one agent for every 70,000 americans right 12,000 miles of coastline how are you going to deal with that you got what are you going to do during prohibition it made criminals Alcohol is a, a precious commodity, so the gangsters are like, oh well, we'll we'll keep, you know, control of that. And there's and millions of Americans became outlaws because they'd only buy from them. What ended up what ended up really ending it uh, was things like what, what you said before, the, the Valentine's Day massacre, things like that. The, the things like it showed how far these criminals would go. Uh, the gang warfare, um, and it it freaked people out.
0: And then had so did that lead the did that lead the government to give
1: in well the great the great depression did it as well you know after a decade of 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 really good growth under three republican presidents the stock market plummets right and america is thrown into the grips of the great depression so end up everybody loses their job and they go um yeah the very time when you would want to take a drink you can't
0: and also i feel like they could have gone if they re-enable that during the depression, then it would be it's a stored commodity because it hasn't been sold, but been made. Then it would just uncap the 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 bathtub, and then everyone go rushing in, rushing in that hole.
1: Well, you get the Twenty First Amendment that repealed the earlier amendment, and then that allowed people to to actually. I think I might
0: do further investigation on all the exact reasons, like when that happened who was president and what uh he thought how that propagated yeah you
1: you shouldn't force your morals on somebody else who doesn't share them uh and also don't tell americans not to do something that's the one thing they'll probably definitely do
0: moral of the story i guess really is to live life morally live life where you don't have to have a caveat of a, a dark morality pit that that you've hidden to to keep your status, it just all uh, all crumbles when you it, well, it just caves in.
1: I think I think honestly, America created this dark Robin Hood uh, of the of the gangster. America created them because if prohibition didn't happen, there would have been something else they would have done. But I'm telling you, it it's one of the big things that caused them to yeah. Flourish. And
0: and they're fun, honestly. They're they're fun in a sort of way, but also explain that, in a sir? Histor- <laughs> But okay. also in a keeping in a historical perspective going like you know these anti-protagonists are not the sort of people you want to like identify with obviously you don't want to become a gangster because you see a gangster
1: they're watchable they're super watchable uh you may not want to pattern your life after the character but you can sit there and 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 watch what how they what they're doing you know, when i was watching this i was going oh please don't and a lot, because I was going, Tom, if you would just not do what where you, you, watch you know where you're going, Yeah, where you're going?
0: you could have actually like had sort of a life and uh, even talk about like Al Capone, he could have gone on with a good life because he had a, a flower shop and a, a soup kitchen and all the thing good things he would do. If he kept on that side, then you know he could have accrued a good life. but uh, that did not end up happening. No, and I did so th- That's just sort of the moral story, and I believe this has been a thoughtful discussion. Uh, have you?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I do recommend this. I do recommend this movie. Um, James Cagney is great in it.
0: But don't miss our next segment where we talk about the actual plot of this movie, because uh, while we put a uh, a lot of you know thought into the various concepts behind this movie and have been in the production there is still a lot speaking about the actual
1: plot analysis of the movie yes absolutely um and uh, join us next time we're going to talk about the plot of the public enemy 1931 don't forget to open your third eye and telepathically message us at cinefanpod at gmail.com set your chronoscope dial to the future setting and peruse cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. Hunker over your ham radio as your keen ears listen for the ghostly voices tweeting on our Twitter at cinematicfanta1. Exchange all of your money into Republic credits and donate at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinefanpodcast. Ending transmission now.